This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Well, you know what? It's a topic that many people don't feel comfortable talking about, and that's exactly how sexual predators of young children want it to be. If people aren't talking, charges aren't being laid, convictions aren't being served, but more tragically, healing isn't happening. That's why I think it's important to talk about the worst crime committed against young children and how so many of those children, especially young boys, grow up with a horrible secret that stops them from getting the help they need. A relatively new organization is trying to change things. CC4MS, the Canadian Centre for Male Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse. Joining me in studio is Bud Sambasavam, who knows the importance of getting help after a trusted family friend abused him as a child. Hello, Bud. Hi. I also want to mention that we are streaming this live on Facebook. You can go to News Talk 770 Calgary if you would like to watch a bit of this conversation. Kathy Carter-Snell is an associate professor of nursing at MRU, and she's on the treatment advisory committee at CC4MS. She joins us from Edmonton. Hello, Kathy. Hello. And Grant Pollock. Yes, my husband, Grant. (laughs) Since he is retired, he has been volunteering for CC4MS, and he joins us in studio as well. Hello, Grant. Hello, Angela. You know what? I want to start off really with you, Grant, because the the bulk of this conversation definitely will be with Bud as well as Kathy. But maybe you could just give me an idea, because I said CC4MS is a relatively new organization. How long has it been around, and how did it come to be? It's only been around for about four years, and it is an offshoot from what Theron Fleury was trying to do many years ago, is get a society going. It fell through. Some people from that society attempt got together with this woman named Frances Wright, who is our leader, who is the CEO and the director now, and she got together with these people, and they fulfilled the dream, what Theron wanted to do many years ago. So that's how CC4MS started, so about four years ago. But it just started treatment within the last year uh, because these statistics show there is a need for it. I'm glad you mentioned Theron Fleury because, really, we think of Sheldon Kennedy. And uh, Sheldon Kennedy has, such, has done such a great job of working with young survivors. How does CC4MS then pick things up where Sheldon leaves off? Uh, Sheldon is mandated and he helps children, uh, youth up to the age of 18. So if you were a young man and the statistics show that uh, most children are abused between 8 to 9 years old, they come forward, if they do, 17 years later. They would not be able to go to Sheldon Kennedy's uh, center to to, to receive treatment. So that's where CC4MS comes in. And so uh, Sheldon Kennedy's center would would forward them to CC4MS. The statistics suggest that one in six men in the general population were, were uh, abused. That's about 16%. And they say in Calgary, that would be about 65,000 survivors. And the recent statistics say that half of those men will try to take their lives at some point. Half of 65,000. That's what the research is saying. Especially if they're not getting the help they need. Why did you get involved in this? Well, I was going to go. So uh, I was going to go and, and help out at the distress center. Frances Wright, I've helped MC her magnificent men leadership luncheons in the past. So I asked her if she knew much about the distress center, and she said yes. And we talked about it. Then she says, maybe you should come and help us. 
And uh, I think the world of Frances Wright, not just because she's starting something like CC4MS, but Bud knows her. She's an amazing woman. She's connected, and she's really trying to make a difference. So she convinced me we need some help to get the awareness of CC4MS. So that's why Bud and I are here, is to get the awareness of this. Kathy, I want to uh, go to you because Grant's talking about, and, and I wanted to kind of focus on the, the young men who have been abused. Do we see a difference between young men versus young women who finally come forward with their story? Yes, we do, actually. The, um, the young men um, actually are, are typically older men coming forward. Uh, 15 to 17 is, is the average that we're finding with our organization. But there have been studies that show that men sometimes wait an average of 27 years after the first assault before they come forward. So many of them are in their late 20s, early 30s, uh, before they first tell somebody about it. Whereas uh, young women will tend to tell somebody a little sooner than that. Very few of them will go to police, men or women, um, and only about 30% of people will go for health care particularly uh, women are more likely to go. Um, in the years uh, that I've worked as a sexual assault examiner, I've, I've looked after hundreds of victims in the recent um, uh, phases after sexual assault, and very, very few of those are ever male. And yet we know that uh, adolescent and adult men are being assaulted as well, and they don't come forward. So it's, it's even the whole dynamics of childhood sexual abuse there's so many more things involved in it. It's, it's horrible for a female or a male child. But um, the males have a, an extra layer of gender roles that's added on to that, um, that men are supposed to be stoic, that, the, that it's not supposed to happen to men, that if they cry about it or that they should have been able to prevent it if they were manly enough, all of that layer that gets added um, acts against them. And then there's the typical dynamics that both female and male children uh, undergo where they get groomed for it. They get told that it's their fault or that bad things will happen if they tell anyone. So um, so both it makes it hard for both males and females, but particularly for males, if they've got that extra layer on there, um, lots of, of gender confusion. Um, if I got assaulted by a male, does this make me gay? Yeah. And which adds to the embarrassment and the stigma for them. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm sure that's a big layer as well because they're, and if it's happening when they're young, they're just discovering their own sexuality. And I think in both cases, predators probably use fear for whether it be the girl or the boy saying, you tell anyone, well, it's one thing, you've always heard the threats about what they would do to their family, but I can imagine with a young boy, you tell anyone, and I'm going to tell everyone that you're gay. That's certainly one of the threats. Um, the, the grooming for childhood sexual abuse is also, it's, it's typically a family member or somebody very close to them, such as a, a relative, a neighbor, a close friend, um, a coach, um, a group leader, um, and and so often, like in the case of uh, Sheldon and, and Theo, um, somebody that they looked up to, somebody that has something that they want that they could lose if they don't go along, and and even if they try to fight back, then you know they could lose a potential uh, NHL career, or they could not get that soccer spot, or they could not be, uh, or they would be outed as being gay. There's just so many ways that they can be manipulated. Um, and um, quite frankly, a male response physically 
is much more visible than a female response and they don't understand as they're finding their own sexuality that if they have a response that that's a normal physiologic response they interpret it that maybe they liked it and therefore this is partly my fault because i participated and see just having this conversation as i said off the top it's a tough conversation to have but it's a conversation we have to have not just with with bud with cc4ms but it's one we have to have with our young children isn't it absolutely you know we talk about stranger danger um, and don't recognize that in, in the vast majority of cases, male or female, it's somebody that they know that has regular access to them. Mm-hmm. And even when we talk about our sexuality or as a parent talking to your child, you know, it's a penis. It's not a pee-pee. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, it was so even, and, and I said off the top, I know I'm going to have listeners who are saying, oh, and really, well, that's just it. I think they, it. they get to hide in the shadows. These predators get to hide in the shadows. Mm-hmm. I want to take a break here because obviously I want to focus a lot on Bud and Bud's story because I think the, the really great thing about Bud, and oftentimes we hear people are victims. Well, Bud wants to be very clear he's not a victim i think he's okay with survivor but more important he's an advocate because if you have people who have gone through this and are sharing their stories then other people might feel like you know what can i talk to him can i talk to my friend so let's talk with bud after the break i'm angela cocott you're listening to calgary today on news talk 770 we're back after this Of course, the great thing about talk radio is we get to talk. And sometimes we get to talk about things that maybe people aren't talking about enough. And that's why we are finding out more about CC4MS, Canadian Centre for Male Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse. And just to reset things up, I've got Kathy Carter-Snell on the phone line. She's an Associate Professor of Nursing at MRU, but she is also on the Treatment Advisory Committee for CC4MS. Grant Pollock, he volunteers for CC4MS, and Bud Sambasavam. And Bud is, Bud, how do you like me to introduce you when I said, you don't want to be called a victim. Are you okay with survivor? Yeah, that's right, yep. You're a survivor, you're an advocate. Mm -hmm. Now tell me your story then, because I, I don't need to get into a lot of details, but give my listeners an idea of what a young Bud went through growing up in Saskatoon. Sure, yeah, so I'm, um... I'm 36 years old today and have gone through a long journey to get to where I am. But uh, my story started um, as a pretty young person, about five years old, actually. Um, I had a special uncle in my life who um, sort of picked me and um, was somebody who um, was a really special person in my life. He, um, you know, bought me gifts and really kind of took me under his wing, you could say. Um, And little did I know at the time and little did my family know at the time that was actually called grooming. Um, it's a process where they um, earn trust and um, bring that individual closer and closer to them. Um, and I was abused by him. The first time I can remember being sexually assaulted by him was uh, about 10 years old. So I went on a trip from, I grew up in Saskatoon, I went on a trip to Toronto all by myself and stayed uh, with him in his apartment uh, on Bloor Street um, in Toronto for about a week or 10 days. And that was the first time I can remember um, being sexually assaulted by, by my special uncle. Um, and um, that process that Kathy alluded to, that grooming process, involves sort of bringing someone really close, uh, sexually assaulting them, and then, um, like Kathy alluded to, in my case, um, threatening 
um, my life and the life of others around me should I disclose to others. And the abuse happened and continued until I was about uh, 14 or 15 years old, at which point, um, you know, it stopped and I was able to sort of get out of that space. How did you not... How did you allow it to happen? Because someone's probably saying, wait, he's threatening you. But was that enough that the threats meant that I have to be with them? Do you feel you just couldn't tell your parents because he could have threatened harm against them as well? Well, so you have to remember, you know, a 10, 11, 12-year-old person sees the world really differently than an adult does. Um, Layered on top of it, for me, was a lot of shame. Like as in this is something I invited on myself. Did I participate in this willingly? Was it something I wanted? Um, so these are questions that um, that lingered for me and that, that layer of shame compounded with the threats for me were really powerfully silencing, right? They silenced me. Um, and um, it just stayed underground for, for those reasons. It's not something I could come forward and talk about openly. Kathy, when you talk about the grooming, you know, uh, Bud is talking about the grooming against him, but the grooming against the family as well, is that an important part, What a, how a predator does this then? It absolutely is. They, they, if, if they, it has to be a slow, gradual process because if they uh, just full-out sexually assault them right off the bat, then the child may end up going back to the family or if they injure them in any way, they're going to be discovered. So they have to maintain the facade of, of being a part, close part of the family or close friend so that they can ma- maintain that access to the child and, and keep that up for as long as they can. And even in your case, Bud, your family liked him, had no problem oh, yeah. saying, go to Toronto, sure, he's a great guy with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was a part of the family. I mean, he, he'd eat dinner around our supper table. He, he, was a part of, he was a part of the family, right? It's 14, and you say you finally were able to get away from the clasp of him. Did did he leave the family scene? Did that make it easier? Or Yeah, so the, the, the assaults started lessening towards, you know, 14, 15, 16, finally. And then I didn't see him for quite a few years until I was actually into university. And I remember, um, I remember it was my first year of university. I'd written my midterm exams, um, and I came home feeling pretty good, you know, when you're a first-year university student and had done well in an exam. And I walked in the door, and I hadn't seen him in years, but there he was sitting at the kitchen table again. And, I, you know, that mood, that sort of energi- energetic mood that I had walking in the door just totally deflated when I saw him sitting at the kitchen table again. And, you know, I'm 18 or 19 years old now, you know, a much bigger person, physically stronger, emotionally at that point. And that was the point when I confronted him in front of my family and I said, you know, things kind of blew up, um, blew up in our home at, at that time. I said, you know exactly what you did to me. Um, and we got into a bit of a back and forth and, you know, my, my folks were taken back by that because they didn't know what was going on. And, um, you know, that, that was the last time, you know, that was kind of the fracture of, of the relationship with him and my family. And he was denying it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he denied it right through to the court case last summer. Yeah. And and I want to get into that in a second as well. Uh, so your family is hearing this blow up. Are they then saying, what happened? Tell us what happened. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they were, you know, shocked, you know, because I'm generally a fairly quiet person. And so for me to um, go off is uh, not a common occurrence because I'm, I'm a quieter, softer person generally. Um, and yeah, they were, I think they were both taken back, right? Both my foster parents were. 
So at that point, do you say, I'm, I'm going to go after him criminally or, you know, I'm, I'm because obviously, Kathy, you would agree every case is different. It is, absolutely. In your case, uh, Bud, though, did you feel that uh, we've got to do something about this? Um, I mean, at that point, no, because there's still a lot of shame for me, right? Uh, there's still a lot of shame um, at that point in time. What, um, um, what I had hoped to do at the time was... Um, rather than go a, a criminal route, go through a, a healing process. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, my community largely wasn't very supportive of me in my disclosure. So, um, you know, it's not like there was um, people that came around and said, oh, hey, how can I help you? Can I, you know, can we take you to therapy? What's sort of the course of action that you want to go through and how do we support you in that? And the reason why is because there's a lot of guilt and shame in the family, in right. my family and in my community, right? Think they, of your parents. They said, yeah. go to Toronto. He's a great guy. Exactly, right? Exactly. And, you know, my mom's a teacher. She's a foster mother. She's a mom. And she's someone that sees herself very... And she is someone who's a nurturer, someone who cares for people. And so for um, for me to be sexually assaulted in her home, under her own roof when she was in it, was um, a really difficult thing for her um, to, to manage and deal with. Um, Kathy, that sounds pretty familiar. Very familiar. Um, and, and I want to pick up on a phrase that you used when you said, you know, how did you allow this to happen? And that's often the first response. We, you know, whether it's, it's male or female, but, but particularly with males, it's that male myth that they should be able to be strong and resist. And, and that's often why the offenders stop, typically around 14 or 15, because males are maturing and they're, they're physically able to resist, uh, which they couldn't as younger children. But that, that reaction to the disclosure is just so important uh, from the families. And there's so much, um, so much uh, at stake. If, 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 but what they need to hear is, I'm sorry this happened to you. Mm-hmm. Well, how can I help? And, and that's, that's part of why CC4S is there, because people don't know where to go. Um, it, we're, we're really lucky in Calgary that we have a couple of counseling centers that specialize in sexual assault that are now providing services to men as well. But there's only two services in Canada that are serving exclusively males. Mm. And CC4MS is one of them. And that's one of the things we're trying to get out, one of our three arms, is community education and working um, to help support the message that the sexual assault centers are sending that I believe you is the most important thing that can be said. And then next, what can I help you do? And, And Bud wasn't getting that. Kathy, I know you're on a tight timeline, and of course, I want to keep this conversation going. Is there any way you can hang around? I mean, you can always just let us know if you've got to go. We've got a news break coming up. Can you hang in there for a bit? Absolutely. Great. Okay, I've got Kathy Carter-Snell, and uh, she is an associate professor of nursing at MRU, but the connection with CC4MS, she is on the Treatment Advisory Committee with CC4MS, Canadian Centre for Male Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse. Of course, you have also been listening to Bud Zambasavan. He is a survivor, and Grant Pollock is a volunteer with CC4MS. You can text us, 770-770. Of course, you can always call us. You know, whenever there's any conversation you want to be part of, 974-TALK, 974-8255. I'm Angela Cocott. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. Back after this. 
I'm Angela Kokod, and yes, you are listening to Calgary Today. This hour, we have been talking about the male survivors of child sexual abuse. And I'm not to say that young girls aren't abused. We know it's just as awful. But the reason I kind of wanted to focus on this organization, CC4MS, the Canadian Centre for Male Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse, is that the research shows that Young boys, when they grow into young men, they don't come forward as easily as young girls who grow into young women. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Kathy Carter-Snell is an associate professor of nursing at MRU. She's on the treatment advisory committee at CC4MS. She's in Edmonton. Hello, Kathy. I'm saying that again to make sure you're still there. I am. Good. And uh, Grant Pollock, he is a volunteer with CC4MS. Hello, Grant. Hello. And Bud Sambasavam, he is a survivor of a child sexual abuse, and he is sharing his story with us today. Hello, Bud. Hi, good to be here. And you know what, Grant, I just want to bring you in quickly again, because uh, for people who are just joining us, if, let's say, I, uh, someone wants to reach out to CC4MS, or maybe someone even wants to look into therapy, what is uh, some of the contact information you can pass along? Uh, there's an email you can email at uh, therapy at cc4ms. So it's cc, the uh, number four, ms.ca. The phone number is 587 575 7000. They say they'll get back within 24 hours and get right to it. And I think Bud can probably speak to that if that is true. Yes. And- but I want to find out more then. So you, you've confronted him. Uh, your family is trying to deal with it in their own way. When did you say that I've got to, I've got to get some help here? I've got to heal. Um, I, think, I think along the way, I mean, eventually my family came around and, um, you know, my, my mom took me to therapy and, you know, in, in through my 20s and even my late 20s and early 30s, I, I continued down that healing path. Um, through therapy, through talking to friends, um, through being, um, you know, being totally open with what was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. Um, and I think the healing, the sort of healing journey continued until, you know, until today. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. Kathy, I, I like the fact that Bud says it is an ongoing process. It is. Uh, you know, it's taken so many years to come forward and there's so much, uh, so much pain and, and internalization that it's going to take, it's not an overnight process to turn it around, um, which is which is why they need to have therapy available to them. We have so many, as, as Grant said, really high suicide rates, really high rates of depression, of post-traumatic stress disorder, of, of alcohol abuse, uh, of overwork, uh, ways of avoiding life, um, relationship problems. So often we just look at the outside of this and we think, well, you know, if we get them into a drinking program or if we um, uh, get them into counseling for relationships, that everything will be fine in their lives when we're not dealing with the root of the problem. And often the men aren't recognizing that that's the root of their problem. They don't know why they're in pain. Um, And so, um, so having the courage to come forward like Bud did is really the first step. And then having people around him that know where you can go to get further help, um, strong support systems in your family and friends are really important, um, but sometimes you need a little bit more than that. And so having counselors who understand how to work with men who've been sexually abused is really important. Well, and I think, Kathy, uh, sometimes victims feel like they have dealt with it. 
you know, now I'm in my 20s and my 30s. I, I'm okay with it. I've gotten over it, but they don't understand why am I avoiding a relationship? Why am I drinking too much? Would that right. be true? That's right. And many professionals don't recognize that as well. And again, you know, as an emergency nurse for many years before it was a sexual assault examiner, we'd see people come in and we'd recommend them into going to a rehab program. And, and if that, that's the symptom, we were treating it as the cause rather than a symptom of a deeper problem. And if we're not recognizing that, then how can, can the survivor recognize that? Um, so so it was, it's misguided, and there's so many health problems. Um, there's a study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study in the U.S. that's been running since 1995. Really strong data on links between childhood sexual abuse and other forms of, of adverse childhood experiences with um, later, not only the mental health problems I've mentioned, but diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disorders, cancers, and because of the stress on the body. And if you, if you bury it, if you don't let it come out, it's going to come out on your body in different stress-related ways, such as mental or physical disorders. But I know we're talking about the importance of healing and seeking therapy in your family. It appears they gave you the support and put you through therapy. And Kathy, you might be able to weigh in this on this after as well. But sometimes therapy, it's not right away. Oh, I'm in therapy. Everything's working out well. Did you were you fortunate enough to find the right therapist, the right program to be able to help in the ther- in the healing? Um, eventually, I'd say yes and no. Um, one thing that I really like about CC4MS is they have a stable of therapists that specialize in male survivors of trauma. So there's a lot of fantastic therapists out there that are good trauma therapists or good psychologists, but maybe don't understand the nuances of this particular type of trauma. So I found a really good therapist actually through CC4MS um, and um, you know we get along great and he's been somebody who's really helped me, um, helped me in my life at this stage. And I think Along the way, along along the different stages oh, of someone's life... someone's calling you. Just shutting it off here. <laughs> That's right. There are um, different ways that it affects you. So, you know, when you enter a new relationship, when you get married, when you become a father, when you, you know... And, yeah. you know, at different stages of life, it brings up different sets of emotions. And I think the important piece is to deal with those sets of emotions or sets of problems that you're dealing with at that time rather than use Kathy's words, bury it. Yeah. And Kathy, would you agree then? Because as I say, some people say, well, at least you're getting therapy. Well, therapy for one person might be a really bad experience for another. It absolutely is. And that's, that's why um, with CC4MS, our, our belief is that we follow the clients on their journey rather than making them follow us on ours. So we need to match the what the client has for goals with what kind of therapists we have. Everybody has different um, strengths in terms of uh, styles of treatment. For instance, if your issue is, is relationships or if your issue is overworking or your issue is a substance abuse, those are different kinds of strengths. And so we have currently 18 counselors associated with us that contract with us. And so we find out um, where, what end of the city the client wants to be um, receiving treatment. Sometimes they want it in completely opposite end of where they live, or they want it close to them, or they might need mm. it after hours because they're working full-time. Other people are having trouble getting jobs and maintaining jobs, and, and during the day is fine. Um, so, so our uh, clinical care director uh, speaks at length for half an hour to an hour. Um, they schedule an appointment together, 
So typically he gets um, a, an email or a phone call from them or from a family member, and we set up an, he sets up an appointment with them and then um, arranges for about a half an hour, an hour interview with them to try to find that information out and then matches them up with a potential therapist and they go for their first visit. But then if it's not working out, if, that's, if they're not meeting their goals, and that's something that we're trying to assess um, at every visit, if it's not meeting their therapy goals, then we will recommend um, uh, other therapists for them because that's really important to have that connection and that match. Kathy, hold on here. I've got to take another break for uh, a commercial. Uh, but I just also wanted to share this text. Hi, Ange. It took me about 24 years to tell my dad about a childhood incident with a family friend's son who molested me while babysitting. I finally started talking about it with others last year. I'm now 40, and this happened when I was seven. Mm. Now, this texter um, wants to remain anonymous, but I do want to say that it's a man. So uh, thanks for sharing that, and um, at least you're talking about it, and I'm hoping you're also getting the help that you need. Let's take a break here. I'm Angela Cocott. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. Back after this. So nice to have you along today because we are talking about male survivors of child sexual abuse. CC4MS, it is an organization that has only been around for a few years now, but it's the Canadian Centre for Male Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse. Kathy Carter-Snell is an associate professor of nursing at MRU. She's on the treatment advisory committee at CC4MS, and she's in Edmonton. Hello, Kathy. Hello. And, of course, uh, Grant Pollock, he's a volunteer. Yes, he's also my husband, but he's a volunteer with CC4MS. Hello, Grant. Hello. But more importantly, we are talking with Bud Sambasavam, and he is a survivor. And we're talking about how he eventually confronts his, well, the person his attacker, when he was um, uh, 19, 20 years old, and then has gone through therapy. I want to know the connection, though, with CC4MS. How did you then get connected with CC4MS? Yeah, well, I, I was, you know, I was someone who picked up the phone and, and called them and said, hey, I'm looking for a therapist that specializes in this. And, um, you know, ideally someone who's a male and someone who has experience in dealing with this kind of trauma. And so... Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the organization because they are so good at what they do. Um, and um, I know some of your listeners out there might be resonating with this story and what the message is. And um, I can only encourage you to take your next step and listen inside of your heart. That step might be to pick up the phone and phone CC4MS. Might be to talk to your friend or your spouse or your, you know, your mom or dad. Um, but um, I, I'd strongly encourage you to step out of your comfort zone a bit and take that next step that um, that's sort of coming from your heart. And it is just the next step. Don't have, don't go all the way down the highway to think, when am I ever going to deal with this right. properly, right? It's right. that step. Yeah, it's one step at a time, right? So, and if you, if you close your eyes and listen to your heart, I bet you, yeah, you can hear what that next step is. And if you take that one and the one after it, you're, you're well on your way. Kathy, what if someone were to come to me, a loved one, and like a bud and share this i feel that especially he's even talking about his mom i think as a mother you feel like oh my gosh what did i do wrong or i can fix this like what should the response be of a friend or a family member if someone does finally take that step and talk to them there's there's three really important steps that people can take it's called psychological first aid where First of all, you look to see if the person's really in distress. Are they safe? Why are they coming forward right now after 20 years? Um, are, are they uh, at, at risk of suicide? Are they 
Is there health an issue? Uh, anything immediate that we need to do um, to get you know, get them to to healthcare? Um, and and if they're safe, then just listen to them. I'm sorry this happened to you. I believe you. Don't ask a lot of questions about the details. You don't need the details, and that can re-traumatize them further, especially if they're not ready to talk about it. They've they've disclosed that it's happened, but they may not be ready to go into all the details. So listen rather than in, interrogating. And then link them up with somebody. So if you're not ready to talk to them and, and or to listen to them and just be there with them, then linking them with somebody. cc4ms.ca is the website. All the phone numbers and emails and everything are there. So that's all you have to remember is cc4ms.ca. Or if they have a therapist um, already that they've had previous exposure to that has some expertise in this area, or, or Calgary Counseling or CASA also provide counseling to males. So you need to find a place where you're, you're comfortable going um, and and reaching out. Um, I think Bud makes a really good point. He said it before that d- talking to somebody, disclosing, does not mean it's an automatic um, zero to 200, you're going to the police. Um, that's a different pathway. And you may or may not decide to go that route, and it might be years before you decide to go that route or never. Um, but talking to somebody and healing is is the most important piece of it and then your support people can help walk you through that kind of decision making and actually bud did eventually go to police we're going to find out about that right after this 351 helicopter traffic and it is brought to you by truman escape the concrete jungle and discover 1741 register now at live at 1741.com live better live truman a few busy patches on Calgary's streets. We'll look at traffic in the northeast first, northbound on Deerfoot Trail, which is looking slow between 64th Avenue and 32nd Avenue. Also slow westbound on McKnight Boulevard through the road widening project currently between 12th and Barlow Trail. In the southeast, also some volume to watch out for uh, approaching the Averstrong Bridge. Southbound traffic on Deerfoot Trail there, backed about halfway to Glenmore. Northbound traffic from the bridge deck also slow to 24th Street. Saving is easier with a Scotiabank Momentum Savings Account. Earn high interest every day and be rewarded with extra interest just for keeping your money saved. Open an account today. For the News Talk 770 Traffic Helicopter, I'm Chris Duchesne. Good afternoon, I'm Jared Wielden in the News Talk 770 Traffic Center. Eastbound on Glenmore Trail and your approach to Deerfoot currently backing you up past McLeod at the moment. Westbound not looking too bad. It gets a little bit slow once you're approaching Crowchild, but it doesn't last for that long. Southbound on Crowchild between Flanders Avenue and Glenmore seeing delays. Northbound Crow between 17th Avenue and Kensington Road, you're going to be slowed down a little. Let us know if you see anything else on the road. 770-770 is the number to text when it's safe for you to do so or get us on the phone at 974-8255. We've got that heat advisory in effect. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 14 degrees. Tomorrow, sunshine and 29 and then Wednesday, sunny and 28. Right now in Calgary, 28 degrees. The weather brought to you by Global Petroleum Show. June 7th through 9th. Register at globalpetroleumshow.com to explore and develop your industry. Bud, you did eventually go to police to have charges laid against your attacker? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, Why? How did you finally make that decision? Uh, you know what? It was, it, was the, it was the moment my wife and I knew we were expecting our first child. <clears throat> and for me, that seemed at that time to be the next step that I was going to take along my path. Um, it seemed to me um, that, um, you know, if I was bringing a, a little person into this world, I wanted it to be um, slightly more safe. It bothered me that my perpetrator was still out there potentially victimizing other people. Um, and, yeah, I just 
it just seemed like the right thing to do at that point in my in my journey. Kathy, is there a statute of limitations when it comes to something that happened many years ago? No, there's not. And that's important to point out because when yeah. it's against a child, there is no statute of limitations, correct? That's right, yeah. But, yeah, thank you, Kathy. I just wanted to make sure because I think a lot of people also are hesitant to go forward because they said it happened so long ago. Uh, I won't, who will believe me as if there could be a case here? Last year, though, your perpetrator was convicted. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the, the legal process is a long one, right? So I, I went forward to the police um, in. Um, call it year zero and three and a half years later we got a we got a conviction Mm -hmm. so it's a long process the police interview the preliminary inquiry the court case the sentencing um all take a lot of time you want to point out though that may not be the route for everyone i don't i don't think it is you know um the numbers i read about five percent of people come forward and only a fraction of those will see a conviction at the end um and the reason the reason why i don't think it's necessarily the step for everyone is because there's a big difference between between healing and finding justice so healing is a very personal journey that draws on yourself and your community and maybe some professionals to support you in living a full life today that is a very different process than trying to hold someone accountable through a court of law and the the distinction i make is in in a court of law and a legal process they deal with facts and on the side we deal with feelings so the the f- going the fact route um, leaves the survivor in a vulnerable place because they don't control the outcome, right? I don't control the outcome of that process. At any point in time, for example, the Crown attorney can decide they're going to make a plea bargain with the defense. They can decide they're not going to take it to court. They can decide, you know, that the judge can decide that there's not enough evidence to find a plea or a guilty verdict. You you might get a guilty verdict, but you might not be happy with the sentence of it at the end of it, right? So. Uh, there's a lot of vulnerability in, in putting yourself out there because you don't control the process. Not to mention you have to testify in front of the person who sexually assaulted you multiple times in your youth. Kathy, you would agree with that? Yes, I, I would. And, and um, people really need support through that. The police services have victim services that help them through it. Um, but the therapists also um, need to be aware of that, that process and the impact it's going to have. Um, there's there's a lot of trigger events, as, as Bud indicated, you know, whether it's it's life events like having children or crises with jobs or going through court um, and, and to bring these things up in different feelings to process. Bud, you even think it's important that you share this story because you want to make sure other people know that they're not alone? Yeah, that's right. I think for me, it's a positive way to channel um, a negative experience to come out and share my story with other people, to get involved with this wonderful organization, CC4MS, and to find a positive a- avenue for this this negative experience. The the journey for me has gone from victim to survivor to advocate, and um, you know, advocating in your own community, even just talking to a friend if you're another survivor, that that makes you someone who's an ally or an advocate, and I think that's a much more positive framing than that of a victim. Kathy uh, and Bud and Grant, thank you so much. I want to leave you with this text that I just received. Thanks for this. I never had these resources as a kid, but spent years in therapy after abused by a family from ages 7 to 11. I find it's hurt my intimacy as an adult, and it would be nice to have a resource to speak with out west. So again, it is CC4MS, and that would be CC, the number 4 ms 
www.mhsa.ca. Kathy Carter-Snell has been with me. She's a associate professor of nursing at MRU, but she's also on the treatment advisory committee at CC4MS. Kathy, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Of course, Grant Pollock is a volunteer with CC Forum S. Grant, I'll see you later tonight. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and Bud, thank you so much for sharing your story. Bud Sambasavam, as he said, he's gone from victim to survivor and now advocate. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Calgary Today. I'm Angela Cocott. We're back after this. Good job. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.